Amen. You know, what a, what a great day it is to worship the Lord. It's great to see uh, a young man following in the Lord's footsteps and wanting to uh, uh, follow him and be baptized. Um, this morning, if you have your scripture and just want to open up to Luke chapter 15, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Um, and so, you know, this morning, I just wanted to uh, encourage you with this message um, there was a, uh, a Wall Street Journal uh, reporter. She, uh, she wrote an article, uh, Jennifer Serenow. She chronicled these extraordinary efforts of uh, middle-aged American men uh, who are trying to find the favorite car that they once owned and loved but lost. Uh, you know, they're, they're searching online on, on, on car ads. They're, they're phoning junkyards. They're hiring specialists. And paying them upwards of you know three or four hundred dollars an hour uh, just to find uh, this car, this automobile that symbolized their youth. But these men want the actual car that they owned, okay? Not one just like it. They want the real one that they owned. Um, and and some would call their efforts you know frivolous, a, a waste of time and money. But understand this that the value of something, the value of something, really anything, but say like a car or maybe a person, is in the eye of the beholder. The value of something is in the eye of the beholder. If you have your scripture, we're going to read uh, chapter 15 of Luke, and we're going to read the first 10 verses. And um, let's read together God's word. It says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost." I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse eight, or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it, when she has found it. She calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin which I had lost. And in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Loving Father, we thank you for this time and 
Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would uh, just open our eyes so that we may see, open our ears so that we may hear the truth of your word. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who gave his life for each of us. And I pray that this morning that the truth of your word uh, would be magnified in our hearts and in our minds. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, chapter 14 of Luke, it ends with Jesus saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then in Luke 15, people who were despised by their society, they came to hear Jesus speak and and teach. And they had ears to hear what the Savior was teaching. But the Pharisees and the scribes, you know, some religious leaders, they complained. They said, this man, he receives sinners and he eats with them. What a great word of hope for sinners. He receives them and eats with them. He fellowships with them. I mean, to affirm how valuable these sinners are to God, Jesus told three memorable stories here. A story about a lost sheep. He he told a story about a lost coin. And then he told a story about a lost son. And each parable here that he tells records the anguish, the anguish of losing. It also records the effort of searching. And then it records the the joy of finding something of great worth. And in every story, we see a picture of God Our loving Father who rejoices over every lost soul who is found. You know, even if you feel far from God today, you are highly valued by Him. He is searching for you. And if the thought of standing before the one true and holy God who knows everything about you, every thought you've had, everything that you've said, every deed that you've done, if that frightens you because you know that your sin is great, don't run. Don't run away. Rather, do what these sinners in Jesus' day did, and that was to draw near to him and listen to him, he will receive you. I think it's interesting because Jesus owns up to the Pharisees' charge and he defends himself by telling these three parables that make all all of them make the same point, although with different emphasis. And I would say this this morning, that God goes to great effort to seek lost sinners And he greatly rejoices when they come to repentance. I mean, if that's what our God is like, then that's what we, as his people, should be like. Today we're going to look at these parables of the the lost sheep and the lost coin. And next week we're going to look at the parable of the lost son. 
But the fact is that all sinners are lost until God finds them. You know, we got a problem with that word sinner because we don't think we do anything wrong. But God's word says, tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're born into this. We're tainted from original sin because Adam's blood runs in us. Then we are all sinners and need a savior. See, the biblical description, you don't like that word. It's not my word. It's God's word. Okay. And, and the thing is, is the biblical description of those who do not know Jesus is not the word unsaved. The word for those who do not know Jesus in scripture is the word lost. They're lost. And it's a really empty, hopeless word. When it's used in reference to other things or, or maybe even animals, they're lost. It's empty, it's hopeless. But it's an especially isolated word when it's used in reference to people. You've heard people say this, and I have too. Well, they are, they're lost. Or maybe somebody has told you, you know, I just feel so, so lost. And it means they're, they're aimlessly wandering around without direction, not knowing what's going to happen next, not knowing where they're at or what they need to do. And it, it, it's so hard. Okay, I'm, I'm really going to date myself here and so that you all just know just how old I am. Does anyone here remember Kmart? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And the, and the blue light special, right? Oh, yeah, I wait for that blue light to come on, you know. But, uh, you know, my wife and I, we raised five children. And um, we lost one of our sons in Kmart one day. Now, I'm not going to mention any names to protect the guilty, but his initials are Jet Adams, okay? <laughs> and um, he was maybe five years old, and um, he was with us, and then he wasn't. And I felt like, you know, maybe he was Enoch or something, you know, he walked with God and then he was no more. But it was, like, it was like he was with us, and then he wasn't, and we didn't have any idea where or how he vanished. I mean, we felt this wave of horror come over us. I mean, it, it's so hard, you know, this, this, this wave of horror has swept over us, and it, it followed us for like 10 minutes, you know, it, it, and that 10 minutes seemed like an eternity. I mean, we were, we were running around, and it was like we were in slow motion, you know, it's like, where did he go? You know, that's rigid slow motion, okay? But it was one of those things where it was just crazy because it was like he was there and then he was gone. And we looked, it seemed like an eternity. And when we finally found him, we were so thankful. We were so relieved. We actually had him like page him and have him come to the front. And he did. And, um, you know, we weren't even ticked off that we lost our place in the checkout line. We were just so happy 
to have him back. You know, when, we, when a close family member is lost, you can't be at rest. You can't be at rest until they are found. And whether they know it or not, the Bible describes every person who does not know Jesus Christ as being lost. And in and, and what we might be the saddest verse in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, he describes the former condition of his Gentile readers in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. And he says this, he says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I mean, Jesus tells this first parable of these lost sheep and the lost sheep are in the Judean wilderness and they're doomed. There's no protection there. It would be just a short time before the coyotes or the wolves or other predators would come and attack it and maybe kill it. You know, a lost dog may, may be able to find his way back home, but a sheep is unable to. A sheep is unable to do that. It's an accurate word picture of a lost sinner. The sinner may not even know that he or she is lost and that they're headed for destruction, but folks, that is the truth. Even if he or she becomes aware of their condition, there's nothing they can do about it. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. In John chapter 6, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He says, in whose case the little g God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I mean, I, I, I feel this, that the unbelievers are lost, but they're also helpless. And they're a target for the enemy unless God intervenes. But thank the Lord, God did intervene. He shows us that God goes to the incredible effort to seek lost sinners. I mean, the shepherd leaves his 99 and he goes after the one who is lost, searching until he finds it. The woman who loses the coin, she, she leaves the other nine and goes after that one, looking diligently, searching until she finds it. And Jesus is the good shepherd who described his mission in Luke 19 as he said this. He said, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his mission and so this morning, I just want you to notice uh, five things fairly quickly here. And, and the first one is this, is that God takes the initiative in seeking out sinners. God is the one who takes the initiative. You know, in our story here, both the shepherd and the woman realized the problem and they took the initiative to deal with it. They both began searching for the lost item and the lost sheep and the lost coin Think about this. They were passive in it. 
The sheep didn't even know it was lost. Neither did the coin. They were passive in it. It was the sheep, excuse me, the shepherd and the woman who went after and initiated. And the only reason they were found is because those two initiated a diligent search for them. See, scripture is clear that if we are saved, it is because the Lord took the initiative. We didn't. We didn't do anything. He came looking for us, and that initiative springs out of his great love and his compassion for us. I love this because the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, he said this, he said, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. See, if salvation had been left up to us, we would still be lost in our sin. But thank God, he lovingly took the initiative. He launched the search. He sent Christ to die for our sins. While we were aimlessly wandering about, not even knowing, not even caring, he sent Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be found. I mean, what a beautiful picture this is. Secondly, I would say this, that God paid personally for the cost of the search. I mean, in the case of the shepherd, he had to take whatever time it took to go find this sheep. I mean, he had to expose himself to the dangers of the wilderness and the weather and the same lions and wolves and, 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 and coyotes were, that were stalking his sheep were probably stalking him as well. But understand, he had to go without sleep in order to make sure he found this sheep. Otherwise, it would be remain lost. And the longer it remains lost, the greater risk of something tragic happening to that sheep. Now, in the case of the woman and her coin, I mean, everything was set aside. I mean, her shopping would have to wait. Uh, her meal preparation would have to be postponed. She didn't go to the well to draw water and, and chat with her neighbors. Neither did she go down to the stream to do the laundry. Her one consuming focus was looking for that lost coin, no matter how much effort or time it took. You know, I, I can identify with this woman. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not identifying as a woman, okay? Let's just get that out there right now. I'm not identifying as a woman. I can relate to this woman, okay? Because whenever I have lost something, even if it's not of, you know, super great value, it seems to drive me absolutely nuts, okay? I, I, sometimes I might misplace something in my garage that I need to use, a tool or something, or somebody else needs it. And I say, well, I've got one of those. And then I go and it's like, ah, oh, where did I put it? I put it in a safe place that I wouldn't lose it. Where is that? I have no idea. So then I've got to go looking for it. And, and, you know, most of the time I know right where it is, but sometimes I've spent a fair amount of time trying to track it down, even if maybe I've decided I didn't need to use it after all. But whatever it is, I just can't seem to let it rest until I know where it's at. It just bothers me. But the point is this, is that the shepherd and the woman did whatever it took, however costly, to find the missing sheep and the coin. But in the case of our salvation, 
In the case of our salvation, the cost was so much greater. In Romans 8, 32, which we've covered recently, it says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. The cost to God was extremely great. He gave his own son. Jesus did not selfishly cling to the glory or the beauty or the comfort of heaven. He did not, he, he laid aside his rights uh, and, and, and came to this earth, not as a mighty judge, but as a lowly servant. As it says in Mark 10, to give his life a ransom for many. He willingly endured the abuse of arrogant men whom he could have wiped off the face of the earth in order to secure our salvation. So God paid personally the cost of the search. Third, I would say this, that God pursues lost sinners until he finds them. I mean, the shepherd relentlessly searched until he found his sheep and the woman did not give up until she found the missing coin. You know, there's a poem, it's called The Hound of Heaven. And he keeps after the strange sinner until he rescues him and brings him home. See, if you are saved, if you are saved today, you know that it's not because you pursued after God. But rather that God pursued you and kept seeking until he rescued you from your sin. See, I haven't always been a pastor. And for a number of years, I too ran away from God as fast as my sins would carry me. Folks, that was my part. I did all the sinning. But God took out after me and he ran me down. He loved me too much to let me continue on the path I was on. He ran me down and he, he caught me and that was his part. He pursued me and he pursues us in order to rescue us. And every redeemed sinner understands this truth. That we didn't do it. He took out after us and pursued us. Fourth, I would say this. That when God finds lost sinners, he keeps them safely. I mean, when the shepherd found the lost sheep, he didn't get out his whip and drive it back to the flock. He picked it up and he put it on his shoulders and he carried it back with love and compassion and he made sure it got back home. And Jesus said this concerning his sheep in John 10. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them, excuse me, and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, you're not secure today in your salvation because of your grip on the good shepherd. <laughs> but rather, it's because of his grip on you. 
He chose you as his own before time began. He sent his son to secure your redemption by his blood. He gave you his Holy Spirit to pursue you with the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins and for mine. He ran after you until he found you and he rescued you from your hopeless condition. Do you know that now he will, you think that he will let you go back into your sins and be lost again? That's impossible. If the good shepherd has saved you, he will, he will keep you. And before I move to the final point here, I, I want to say this, I want to apply this point. Since God goes to the great effort to seek lost sinners, and since God seeks them like this, shouldn't we also seek them? Most of us spend our daily lives doing what we want to do. But we need to understand there are lost sinners all around us. If God spends his time seeking us, shouldn't we also seek them? I mean, shouldn't we be praying something like, Lord, use me as your instrument in seeking lost people with you and your good news? Rather than avoiding sinners, we should, we should be pursuing them, not to run with them in, the, in their sins, but to rescue them from the evil world that we live in. I mean, ask God to burden your heart. Ask God to burden your heart with the lost and to, to give you opportunities to pursue them with the gospel. Moving on, number five here. God rejoices greatly when lost sinners come to repentance. I mean, in this passage, you see there's an obvious contrast here between the scribes and Pharisees. <laughs> They're grumbling they're grumbling. And, and then the, the, the contrast is the great joy that is in heaven and on earth when the lost are found. I mean, if you read down through these verses, in verse 5, it says rejoicing. In verse 6, it says rejoice with me. In verse 7, it says there will be more joy. In verse 9, it says uh, re rejoice with me. In verse 10, it says there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. You see, there's a grumbling that's going on in the, in the religious leaders, in the scribes, in the Pharisees, in what I want to call the church. There's grumbling going on over these sinners because they're, they're spending time with Jesus. But Jesus said there is more joy when the lost is found. We need to get that. You know, heaven is already filled with joy. But when a sinner gets found, they throw a party. Just as the father of the prodigal son did. I mean, at the end of this chapter, he says, he tells his older son, we had to be merry and rejoice for this brother of yours that was dead and has begun to live and he was lost, but now has been found. Oh, we need to celebrate when a sinner comes to Christ. Notice two things real quick and I'll be done here. God's joy is over the sinner who repents. <laughs> Not over the righteous who need no repentance. You know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he, prince of preachers, he, he uses the illustration of a family with seven children where one of them is deathly ill, but then recovers. 
And the family rejoices more over the recovery of that one child than over the health of the other six. They're thankful. Look at it in a different way. In the three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son all represent the lost tax collectors and sinners who were coming to hear Jesus and being rescued and redeemed by the good shepherd. The sheep, the 99 sheep, the nine coins that were not lost and the older brother who never strayed, all of those represent the Pharisees and the scribes. They're not in the flock or the household of faith, but they're in the household of Israel made up with those who are saved and those who are not. But is not they... (laughs) They did not, they thought they didn't need repentance for themselves, but rather they thought they were good enough that they didn't need repentance. So Jesus is using irony here to show them their self-righteous pride, especially in the case of the older brother who could not bring himself to rejoice at his brother's repentance. Folks, he is a mirror of the Pharisees. He didn't think he needed repentance. Jesus said in Luke 5, 32, he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, the Lord hates pride. And so the Pharisees are just as sinful as the more outwardly notorious sinners whom they despise, but they were blind to their own hypocrisy and their own pride. They thought, we don't need to repent. So the the righteous Jesus is speaking of are the self-righteous who need to repent just as much as the tax gatherers and the sinners, but who are blind to their own need. Oh, we got some blind spots. See, repentance means turning toward God away from our sins. And this repentance is God's gift, not a work from us. And it's interwoven with saving faith. And I would say this, you cannot have saving faith without repentance. When a person truly believes in Christ, he turns from his sins and he puts his trust in God's mercy. Listen, when a person says, I believe in Jesus, but they do not repent of their sins, they have not truly believed in Jesus for salvation. Because when a sinner turns from his sins to God, all of heaven rejoices because God gets the glory. See, God's joy is shared by the angels in heaven. That's what it says in verse 10. It says, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, Peter tells us that the angels long to, to, to look into the matters of our salvation. The angels revel in the glory of God and, and God is glorified in his sovereign grace, secured by the death of Christ and revealed to undeserving sinners by the Holy Spirit. It's all God that does this. The angels also rejoice because they know the terrors of hell that would overtake lost sinners if it were not for God's redeeming grace. Stick with me. Not one 
whom the father has chosen and given to the son will be lost. The angels rejoice when a sinner repents because that sinner will now spend all of eternity glorifying God in heaven. And let me say briefly, let me apply this. Since God rejoices like this when sinners repent, shouldn't we? I mean, listen, the things that make us happy, they reflect our values and what we consider important. I mean, do we rejoice when our stocks go up and we we make a huge profit? Do we rejoice when we get a new car or, or something new, new home, new RV, whatever it might be? But we, when we hear us about a sinner being saved, being found, we say, oh, great, that's nice. Scripture tells us that God greatly rejoices when a sinner repents. <laughs> and so should we. See, these parables show us God's concern and his compassion for individual sinners. The shepherd goes after the one sheep. The woman diligently hunts for the single coin. And the good shepherd knows his sheep by name. He calls them individually. He cares about every lost sinner who needs repentance. He cares for you. He cares for me. You know, as our worship team uh, comes back up, let me wrap this up with a, with a final story here. You know, on a very cold night in England many years ago, there was a group of children that they slipped into the back of this church and they, they wanted to get warm. And the, the preacher was speaking on Luke 15, verse 2. And the, he was preaching out of a King James Bible, King James Version, and it reads this way. It says, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And afterwards, one of the little girls, probably around eight years old, she went up to the pastor and she said, uh, pardon me, sir, but I didn't know that my name was in the Bible. And he asked, well, what's your name? And she said, Edith. He said, no, Edith, your name is not in the Bible. She said, yes, it is. She said, I heard you say it. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. even though this girl misunderstood the text. She applied the truth personally to her heart. I mean, if you know that there are sins in your heart that need God's merciful forgiveness, put your name in there. This man, Jesus, receives sinners and ridge with them put your name in there I mean if you will join the tax gatherers and sinners and draw near to Jesus and and listen to him you will know the joy of singing I once was lost but now am found I was blind but now I see Let's pray together. Loving Father, we thank you for this time. And Father, I thank you for your word. And God, I'm just so thankful that you pursued me. 
that you took out after me and ran me down? Father, I know that is each one of our testimonies that sit here redeemed. Father, we're all tainted by sin. Some of us recognize it and some of us don't. But Father, you made a way and you pursue us. You look for us until you find us. So Father, I pray that that would be our desire today. Father, number one, if we have never been found, I pray that that you would draw us to you through your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, you gave your life so that we might be found, so that we could be reconciled. God, what a wonderful truth it is to know that you love us that much, that you don't leave us where you find us, but you bring us along, guiding us, leading us, helping us become more and more like Jesus Christ. Father, I praise you for the fact that I'm not who I once was. Father, I've not arrived yet. I'm still growing in that. But I recognize, Father, that you are at work in my life. Father, I pray that even now your Holy Spirit would have free reign in our hearts and in our minds just to turn it over to you just to come to you and say, Lord, we need you. Father, I want to turn from my sin. I want to face toward God and his mercy. Lord, I thank you for this time. I pray that you would guide us as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.